Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the climate crisis is causing some animal species to shrink, and that is definitely not a good thing. Experts weigh in on the possibility of humans ever being able to edit or delete their own memories. And Netflix cheat codes to help you shake off the algorithm. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. The fact that the climate crisis is changing the characteristics of some animals is not exactly news. We know that some are changing colors and that the distribution of species is shifting. The New York Times has a whole series called When Humans Influence Evolution, and it mentions such cases of rapid evolution as the peppered moth, who changed from light to dark coloration when pollution that began with the Industrial Revolution darkened the trees that made up its habitat. And the Atlantic killifish, which rapidly evolved in immunity to toxic, polluted waters. And most recently, the Times recounted the case of the flightless stoneflies in New Zealand's South Island, which lost their wings and ability to fly when humans entered the region and cleared the trees from the land. But now, more studies are coming out showing larger trends in changes to animals in response to the warming planet, and a lot of them are shrinking. One recent analysis showing this comes from the Field Museum in Chicago, where ornithologist David Willard began collecting the corpses of birds back in 1978, collecting them after they unfortunately hit building windows in the city and fell to their deaths. The Field Museum now has over 100,000 birds collected from window collisions since 1978, lending an impressive array of data from dozens of different bird species over a period of 40 years. And in 2019, one study conducted on the collection showed that individuals from 52 species shrank by an average of 2.6% over those 40 years. Why are those birds and other animals getting smaller? Well, there's one theory. There's something called Bergman's Rule, a biological principle that says animals in warmer climates tend to be smaller than animals of the same species in colder climates. And Vox points out that we know this principle holds true during periods of planetary warming. Quote, During the largest warming event in the early Eocene, about 56 million years ago, when temperatures increased between 5 to 8 degrees Celsius within 10,000 years, many animals got smaller, including mammals, which scientists learned by measuring fossilized teeth. Another past warming event called the Eocene Thermal Maximum 2, which saw temperatures increase by 3 degrees Celsius, was also associated with shrinking animals, end quote. Bergman's rule holds up logically for mammals, rodents, and birds, all of whom can cool down more easily when they're smaller in size, but what about fish? Some fish have also been found to be shrinking, and they don't generate their own heat, so why would being smaller be advantageous? Quoting again from Vox, they might shrink in response to warming for other reasons, said Jennifer Sheridan, assistant curator for amphibians and reptiles at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. Warm temperatures, for example, speed up the development phases of frogs, from egg to tadpole and so on. But their rate of growth doesn't keep up, she said. As a result, they're smaller by the time they arrive at adulthood. End quote. Not all animals are shrinking, though. Some are getting larger. A recent study from the Florida Museum of Natural History showed that urban mammals and rodents in North America are both longer and fatter than non-urban animals of the same species. 
Being well acquainted with Bergman's rule, the findings even took the researchers by surprise, quoting Fast Company. The scientists had expected to find smaller vermin and other mammals in cities due to the heat island effect, where structures like buildings and roads absorb more heat from the sun than, say, a neighboring forest. Instead, the findings suggest that urbanization is reshaping the bodies of the animals within. The researchers hypothesized that the mammals are growing bigger because cities provide something of a TV dinner on the couch lifestyle. Easy access to calorie-dense food, less need to scavenge, and fewer predators, which facilitate species expansion, literally. End quote. Which is kind of similar to another theory for why some other animals may be getting larger. Sheridan told Vox that since winter is coming later in many places, that extends the growing season and therefore the period of time during which animals can eat plants and grow larger. And quoting further from Vox, If Bergman's rule were truly universal, you'd expect individuals of a species population to be smaller in warmer parts of their range, smaller polar bears further south, say. But a 2017 analysis of more than 950 species of birds and mammals found that most species had similar sizes regardless of the temperature of their environment. The point is that natural systems are really complicated. Even if theory and lab research suggests that animals consistently shrink under warming, the exact result of climate change is messier in reality, Sheridan said. It's almost always the case that some are getting smaller and some are not. With climate change, there are so many other factors changing at the same time. End quote. And there does also remain a question of if these changes are truly the result of rapid evolution, as the New York Times has splashed all over their headlines over the years, something that would be passed down from one generation to the next, or if these are changes happening within the lifetime of individual animals. And sure, it's disturbing that interference from humans is literally producing changes in animals, but why does it matter, really? Well, for one, some of the animals that are shrinking could have less offspring, which could then herald their extinction more quickly. And since some species might change in body shape in different ways and at different rates, it could mess with the relationships between animals, especially between predators and prey. And all those changes might mess with their ecosystems, many of which we humans rely on. Vox also points out that while, yes, we've seen warming periods before which totally changed the animals that exist on this planet, our current warming is proceeding 10 times faster than the average warming after historic ice ages. Animals are not going to have time to adapt to the changes in their species. So I guess we should just hope that more of them change like the Atlantic killifish to be more tolerant of pollution and other human-caused symptoms of the climate crisis. So a new movie debuted on HBO Max earlier this month from the creators of Westworld and starring Hugh Jackman called Reminiscence. It's about a world where scientists have created a way of reliving your memories and recovering lost ones. It's been getting pretty bad reviews, and frankly, I keep forgetting to check it out, but it does have a very intriguing premise. You know, what if we could relive memories? What if we could change them? Or, heck, what if we could delete memories altogether? I definitely have some that I wish I could forget. In a recent installment of their Giz Asks series, Gizmodo spoke to a panel of researchers about whether such a thing would ever actually be possible. Samuel Shocker, Professor Emeritus of Neuroscience at Columbia University, says that the principle is kind of there, but in practice, it's more complicated. Quote, 
The evidence from neuroscience right now suggests that a given memory is very sparsely encoded. What that means is that our cerebral cortex, where most of these memories are stored, has about 15 billion nerve cells, and a particular memory may involve a change in activity of only a couple hundred of them. Finding those few hundred cells is very, very complicated. End quote. He points to a number of ongoing studies, however, that show what we're currently capable of. In one, scientists are able to identify a group of cells participating in one of a mouse's memories and then manipulate them enough to prove that the mouse forgot the memory. But, Shocker says, doing that on a human scale, to the sophisticated level most people think of when talking about deleting memories, is probably not possible. But in terms of similar therapies for trauma, quote, A memory has four basic phases. It's initiated, then consolidated, then stored, and then recalled. In both animals like mice and monkeys and in humans, each of these phases have been shown to share a certain mechanism. Scientists are now focusing on those shared mechanisms to see if maladaptive memories can lose their anxiety-provoking aura. You don't forget that you got mugged in front of a mailbox, instead the mailbox stops meaning what it used to mean. The memory is still there, but its emotional context has been removed. This sort of therapy might be possible in a relatively short time." End quote. He does warn, however, that some people are studying if they could give these kinds of drugs to combat soldiers so they can't generate the trauma to begin with, but Shocker cautions that as great as that sounds, it's a slippery slope. Meanwhile, Jason Chan, an associate professor of psychology at Iowa State University, emphasized the potential with something called memory consolidation. Quote, Memory consolidates over time. We've known this for the better part of a hundred years. After you learn something or experience something, your brain undergoes changes through protein synthesis that solidifies or consolidates the memory. In the 60s, some people suggested the concept of reconsolidation. The idea there is that when an already consolidated memory has been retrieved, it re-enters a labile state and then needs to be reconsolidated. That work was reinvigorated by some researchers in the early 2000s and has been investigated extensively in the last 15 to 20 years. There are a lot of people trying to do work that looks at whether we can take advantage of this reconsolidation process and block it, thereby impairing the memory in question, making it weaker or making it go away." End quote. And while there have been a lot of promising studies done on this realm in animals, he echoes Shocker's point that with humans, it's more complex, to the point of maybe not being possible. Our memories are just super complicated compared to many other animals. Steve Marin, a professor of psychological and brain sciences at Texas A&M University, says that memory editing is, quote, within our grasp, saying that memories are way more malleable than most of us realize, which is true and something that always blows my mind and makes me start doubting anything I've ever thought I remembered. Quoting Marin, the simple act of retrieving a memory changes it. This is a feature, not a bug. It allows new information to be incorporated into a memory when circumstances change. The fact that memories undergo reconsolidation reveals that they are not indelible traces etched into the neural networks of the brain. Rather, they're dynamic representations that change with experience and time. End quote. Marin mentions studies that are being done to interrupt the reconsolidation process, sometimes using the beta blocker propranolol, which Professor Chan also mentioned, and some studies have shown that the process in both animals and humans, quote, produced clinically significant reductions in pathological fear responses in patients with post-traumatic stress disorder, end quote. 
Julina Radulovic, an adjunct professor of psychiatry and behavioral science at Northwestern University, argues that deleting memories is not a testable question because we can't prove something that doesn't exist. How do you prove they've actually been deleted and are not inaccessible due to suppression, impaired retrieval, or more? And that's a great point. Though Dr. Ted Sachter, whose lab discovered the enzyme PKM-zeta, which is necessary for maintaining long-term memories, thinks we will one day likely be able to erase specific long-term memories. His theory also has to do with the reconsolidation process, saying, quote, When the specific synapses connecting a neuronal network fire during the retrieval of a specific memory, the memory storage molecules, such as PKM-zeta, may be rapidly degraded and resynthesized in a process known as reconsolidation. Blocking all new synthesis during the period right after memory is recalled prevents the specific recalled memory from returning into long-term storage, leaving the other non-retrieved memories intact. But blocking general protein synthesis is toxic. If PKM-zeta or its stabilizing molecules could be selectively prevented from reforming, one would predict a specific memory should be erased. End quote. Sheena Jocelyn, an associate professor of physiology at the University of Toronto, however, warns that we should proceed very cautiously, because memories, even, like, humiliating ones, can be great learning tools. But she also adds that pursuing research in this direction is extremely useful in understanding more about the relatively still mysterious memory and developing treatments for conditions like PTSD, Alzheimer's, and more. And finally, Professor Marin, who clearly got the message from Ian Malcolm, echoes this sentiment, saying, quote, Ultimately, the question before us now is not whether we can edit memory, but whether we should. End quote. So last Monday, I talked about the growing number of clickbait strategies being employed on Netflix to lure people into watching various titles. While one's Netflix experience has never been more personalized and more targeted, these days it's so seamless that you might not notice it. In fact, it sometimes seems less personalized than it used to. Remember when Netflix used to recommend hyper-specific genres of movies to you based on your watch history? Like, cerebral military movies based on real life, and gutsy girl power movies for ages 8 to 11, and Oscar-winning, visually striking movies from the 1970s. Nowadays, when you scroll through the home screen, you get what's popular, what's trending, your list, some Netflix originals, and then a number of genres, but they're more broad than they used to be. Stuff like true crime, action and adventure, and TV comedy. But as I discussed on the May 13th episode of this show, even some of those categories are algorithmically determined and unique to you. So what you're seeing is still personalized. Netflix just isn't always being as transparent about that personalization as it was back in the day when it literally told you, hey, since you watched The Big Lebowski, here's 10 other stoner movies from the 1990s. It also felt more personal because those recommendations were all straight-up recommendations based on your watch history, not recommendations within Netflix's own top 10 lists or curated thumbnails that are meant to appeal to you of the same movies it wants everyone to watch. But if you want to get back to the good old days of more specific genres to browse, being able to explore deeper than the top matches that keep appearing for you all over the platform, there is a way. You'll have to go to Netflix on desktop to start, but once you find what you want, you could load it up on the device of your choosing. Because what you're going to do is go to netflix.com slash browse slash genre slash and then input a series of numbers that corresponds to the genre you want to watch. 
Make Use Of calls this the cheat code and has a list that you can reference on their site, link in the show notes. So, for example, you want a drama based on real life? Add 3653 to the end of that URL. How about an Asian action and adventure movie? 77232. Movies based on kids' books? 10056. Mockumentaries? 26. LGBTQ comedies? 7120. Now, they're not as specific as the old recommendations, but it's still more comprehensive than the homepage usually is today and can help you break through the noise of what Netflix wants you to watch. I mean, even just in testing these out, I found several movies that I had forgotten about or never heard of or not realized were on Netflix that I now want to watch. Some of the codes listed don't work, mostly in the horror subgenres for some reason, and you know some are a little bit more kept up with and curated than others, so your mileage may vary, but it's definitely a cool way to dig a little deeper on an app that increasingly just wants to show you the same things over and over and over again. That is it from me for today, but as always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.